you are having an ectopic pregnancy, but the baby's growing on your ovary, not in your fallopian tube, which is common. And an ovarian ectopic is really uncommon and can be really dangerous. And she showed us, oh, this bit's really hard. She showed us the, um, the screen and we saw the beating heart. And I remember saying to you, but the baby's trying to live. The heart's beating, so that's not fair. And I remember my mum saying, can't they just transplant it into your womb? Mm -hmm. And I know like it might sound silly, but equally it's not. Like you think of, you try and think of everything, you know? I just remember looking at this heartbeat thinking, the baby's trying to live, that can't be right. Welcome back to Reconditioned with me, Lauren Vaknin, and the final episode of season 10. Uh, you might be noticing that I have no video for this. This is just an audio. I'm not in the studio. That is because I couldn't actually manage finding the time to continue getting to the studio. So I had to make a choice on where I was going to prioritize my time. And um, you guys love it, how it was before with just audio and we will get video back at some point I'm going to arrange to have a whole shebang put in my home office so I can actually still video this um but for the moment I've realized that there was actually no difference between what you guys enjoyed and how many downloads there were when we had in the studio was an amazing experience and we got some great video footage and content and also being able to interview the guests having that big screen and everything it was fun but at the end of the day you guys are here for the content. I know you're here for the content. I know you're committed to learning about growth and health and that just comes through the audio regardless of whether we've got video or not. So here I am, videoless. Hopefully you're enjoying it just as much and I know you will because today's episode is extremely special. For those of you who know uh, about my last episode that I did with my husband, we recorded an episode together, uh, it was episode 73, um, called Healing Through Love and How to Step Into the Work, because so many questions that I got about Daniel were always revolved around, did you make him like this? Or was he already like that? And it was so much more, so much more of a nuanced answer. So I thought, well, let's get him on. And that was in 2021, believe it or not. And so we're coming back to do an entire recap on what's been going on since then, which has been a lot in terms of our relationship, our marriage, everything that's happened with us in the last few years. And we hosted a couple's healing workshop since then, and it was Daniel's first time facilitating with me. So, and we've had so many more questions and so much more interest since then. So I thought I'd get him back because we are going deeper this time into some really juicy stuff. So um, hang around and listen to that because yeah, it's just, it's really kind of me and Daniel completely raw, unfiltered and unplugged. So I can't wait for you to hear it. And of course, as usual, if you enjoy it, then um, feel free to share with anyone you think it might inspire or motivate or help. And feel free, as always, to rate or review the podcast. Obviously, a five-star rating would be great and a lovely review because it pushes me up in the charts. And the reason that I want that is because that helps more people to find the podcast. And that's what I'm here for at the end of the day, to reach as many people as possible so we can spread this word of holistic healing and inner growth. 
So this is the last episode of the season and I am taking a break for the summer and I hope I can inspire some of you to do that too. It's really a balancing, juggling act for me with the kids and the business and I just decided that I'm taking a break. I'm just taking a break. That's what I want to do and that's what I'm going to do. I was stressing about it kind of May time and I was like, how am I going to make this work because we're going away for two weeks so Daniel can't take that much time off to be with the kids while I'm working. And then I was like, I just want to be with my kids. I want them to remember having me around during the school holidays. And they're doing a few camp days here and there. So I'll work when they're at camp and when they're not, I am going to be with them and just be enjoying the summer and have these amazing memories. Like I remember of my mom being with us during the summer holidays. So um, this is the last episode. The, the, the podcast is not going to disappear though. You will still see episodes coming up weekly because we are doing Reconditioned Revisited, where I am going to be posting the most downloaded and favorite episodes of all time. And I'm really excited for that because actually a lot of people who, I mean, I personally, when I first listen to a podcast, I sometimes go back to the beginning, see if there's any content that I really enjoy. But also I understand that the podcast hosts have changed a lot since then. So sometimes I don't want to listen back from the beginning because I just think that everything will be different. So there's a lot of you that haven't heard some amazing episodes from earlier on in the podcast. For example, my episode with um, Jay Shetty, my episode with Davinia Taylor, all about addiction to biohacking, my episode with Dr. Lawrence Pilevsky, some Rise episodes that you guys loved, um, my episode with Bruce Lipton. Anyway, there's just some great episodes coming up that are going to be playing for you over the next couple of months for Reconditioned Revisited. So yeah, hang around, make sure you're still subscribed and following and so you'll get updates and notifications on those. And for now, I am going to take you in to my episode with my husband, Daniel. So enjoy. The advice I get asked for probably more than anything else is supplement. Where do I get my high quality supplements? I am so particular about my supplements and I research every single ingredient right down to what the capsule shell is made of, which is why my clients trust my recommendations so much. Now, because I'm super picky, I get all my supplements from Amrita Nutrition and I found them about a decade ago because they were the only UK stockist to stock seeking health products, which were developed specifically for MTHFR. And I've stayed with them ever since because they literally stock the absolute highest quality brands from all over the world, like Moss Nutrition, Quicksilver, Apex, and so many others that I love. And I know that anything I get from them is going to be the utmost highest quality. They also offer personal support at every stage from their customer care team and in-house nutritional practitioners. So you can order using practitioner invite code Lauren, which will get you 10% off all supplements, which will be applied to every order once you've set up an account. And you can also create your own protocols once you've set up an account, which is pretty cool. And I've gone ahead and created a collection of all my favorite supplements with Amrita, which you can find in the show notes or on my website. Otherwise, just visit amritanutrition.co.uk and don't forget to use code Lauren for 10% off. Thank you so much to Amrita for supporting our mission here at Reconditioned. Hi, my love. Hi. <laughs> 
Hi. Thanks for having me back. Well, you're so welcome. It's, um, well, should we set the scene? Let's set the scene right now. So people can know kind of how we roll at home once the kids are in bed at eight o'clock at night. Absolutely. So I have just started my moon cycle, as you like to call it. So you have honoured me by making me a hot cacao. So I'm sitting drinking that. I have a castor oil pack around my tummy. You were going to be sipping a tea and decided not to bring a tea. And the kids have just gone to bed and we're here kind of just doing our thing. And let's talk about why we're here, why we're doing this episode. Absolutely. Well, do you want to talk about that? Sure. (laughs) Um, So we decided to do this episode because the last episode we did was nearly two years ago. A lot has happened since then. A lot has happened, yeah. I can't believe it's been that long. I know. And um, we get a lot of questions about our relationship. And we've been on a real journey in our marriage with some trauma that's happened and also within our sexual evolution as a couple. And we thought, surely everyone wants to hear about that. And so we're really pushing the boundaries right now, aren't we, with this episode? We're pushing ourselves past our comfort zones. We, we are. It's, you know, it, it, it's been an exciting journey for us. And, you know, that was such a long time ago. We were living at my parents. Mm. We were renovating our house, which we've now been in for, for just under a year and a half. Um, and, and a lot's happened. And I think... Along the way, we meet a lot of people and we, we talk to a lot of people about relationships, our experiences, their experiences. And I think everybody's trying to find their way to, to find their comfortable position or, or, or their happiness within their relationship. And we're fortunate enough to, through the work, have been able to, to, to found that place. And it's it's been a lot of work, but... It, the work's a lot of fun um, and bringing that to people is I suppose fun for us and a way for us to sort of revisit w- what we've done mm. yeah I think do you know what let's take it back because in our last episode we spoke about we spoke a lot about our relationship and how it's grown we didn't really speak about how we met and I think maybe it would be nice for people to hear that backstory yeah absolutely well Lauren and I, or say Lauren and I, you and I went to school together. We we went to high school, secondary school in central London. And we were in the same class, but we weren't really friends, were we? I mean, you can tell the truth. Okay. <laughs> we, we weren't very big fans of we one another. We did not like each other. I didn't like you. We were in different crowds and I think we were discovering who we were at you know, teenagers at that point in our life and different paths, different journeys, and those didn't align at all. Um, and I think we... I mean, let's be honest, it wasn't a path or a journey. We were teenagers. You were a typical teenage boy. You annoyed me. You irritated me. <laughs> and we weren't friends. And that's kind of the extent of it. Um, and then, yeah, we kind of weren't friends at all, really. We spoke occasionally. And then we left school and we saw each other a handful of times around the area because we always lived quite close to each other. Yep. And then what happened? Uh, and then the 
stars aligned and a friend invited me to uh, a car boot sale um, where he was selling some stuff one morning. I suppose the equivalent is a flea market. And um, I turned up with, with coffee for him and he said to me, oh, he said, Lauren Vacneen's here. Um, and I'd never thought about you romantically at all or, or you know, in, in, in any other way than somebody I'd, I'd gone to school with. And we, we bumped into each other and I don't know why, but I felt like I wanted to get to know you. I felt like I wanted to explore that more. Um, you know, it's funny because our, our paths had always crossed throughout that 15 years earlier on. And this was obviously the right time. Something was saying, go for it. Yeah. And it was 10 years after leaving school. And from my perspective, and this is kind of like real kismet fate stuff. My, I was doing a car boot sale with my mum. I was 26. I was still living at home. I still was quite ill on and off. And, but my mum and I loved doing car boot sale. My friends and I did it as well. We've got loads of pictures of us at car boot sales. It was fun in the summer. We'd just get rid of all our old stuff. And we were like, okay, we'll do a car boot sale. We packed the car, mum and I, and just had everything ready from the night before and we woke up in the morning and it wasn't raining there was nothing no reason why we wouldn't have gone and both of us were like I just can't be bothered today and if anyone listening would know me and my mum you would know that is so out of character once we plan something and we're up in the morning especially because the car was packed it's so out of character for us to we're not those kind of people to be like "Eh, we just can't be bothered today we'll do it another time the fact that we both agreed with each other was also just so out of character. So, um, but we didn't, we didn't do it. And the next week we were both able to make it was three weeks after that. And that was the week Daniel was there. So well, that was the week you were there. Mm. So it was, um, I have to explain why I keep, where we keep saying each other's names, I think, because we're, my, one of my mics is broken. So we're both speaking into one mic. So we're sitting next to each other, both facing forward instead of facing each other. So we're not actually looking very much at each other. Um, so yeah, so we did, we met and I was selling and his friend was selling. Daniel came to bring him a coffee and I went over and said hello and we got talking and and, and more of a backstory of that is I had recently broken up with someone who was about to propose to me and had bought a ring and everything. And I, I knew he'd bought the ring and I knew it wasn't right. So I knew I had to break it off. And after that, I was like, I'm just going to be, I just need to be single. Every kind of relationship I'd been in had gone very quickly from we're dating or we're, you know, I don't know, seeing each other to we're in a relationship. And for those few years, it was very much like that. And I was really deep in my my wellness journey, trying to find all the answers. And I just felt like I needed to be on my own. So I wasn't, and actually I'd turned down a few dates. My sister tried to set me up with her boss. I remember there were a few dates I turned down. And the only reason I decided to go out with you was because you didn't make it sound like a date. You messaged me afterwards, after the car boot sale. We'd had a bit of a chat there. Oh, you messaged me to say I've bought your book. I saw you written a book. This is what I was going to say. You, you know, you'd you'd recently published your your first book, um, My Enemy, My Friend, and you were telling me about it. You were excited that it was out there. Now, I'd been, you know, I'd been looking for a relationship or I'd been looking for the right person for a while. And I'd gone on many dates and, 
nothing had really clicked. So I, I thought, let's do this differently. And I thought, let's buy the book. Let's see what this was about. So I bought the book and I thought, well, I'm going to read a little bit first. If, you know, if this book is about you and your, your journey and, and your life so far, let me try and go into it with, with some information that I can use. So I read the book and, you know, the one of the first things it, it spoke about is how, you know, you would go on date and, and you weren't really an alcohol drinker. You know, the, the medication that you'd taken had damaged your liver and that, you know, boys had asked you out for, for drinks or for dinner. Boys? At the time, boys. So I thought, right, well, let's invite you out for a coffee and you all your favourite drinks <laughs> from from the book. Um, and that's what I did. I, I called you up and I think because it was coffee, it was probably not so threatening as a date. Um, yeah, that was... It could have been seen as, you know, two old friends, quote unquote. Um, well, you made up. it sound like that. So that's why I agreed to it. You were like, do you want to go out for a coffee for a catch up? So I thought, oh, yeah, sure. And um, came to pick me up in your flashy car. <laughs> the second date, I wouldn't let you pick me up because I was scared that you'd try and kiss me. And I didn't want that awkward moment of trying to kiss when you get out of the car. See, that's I didn't the reason. That. I, that's the reason We're I met you there. We're always learning things, aren't we? But our third date, we kissed. You cooked for me. Mm. And... Yeah, you were so funny on that first date. <laughs> Just a little anecdote and then we'll move on. In, in So Daniel and I, and this is a really interesting part of our story as well. We're both Jewish, but we've come from very different cultures. My family is Sephardi. So, um, you know, from kind of the Arabic countries and Daniel's family are Ashkenazi where they originated from Eastern Europe and the Eastern European like Ashkenazi Jews are way more anglicized. Um, Sephardi Jews are very much rich on the Arabic cultures that we brought with us. So Moroccan family and this very English family. And Daniel had read about me, um, us drinking like Turkish coffee in our families. <laughs> and so at the restaurant, he ordered, well, he ordered like five different drinks. <laughs> I know he where thought you're going with this now. <laughs> yeah. And so at the he didn't realize what a Turkish coffee was. So he took the the ground coffee beans from the bottom of the cup and he thought they were chocolate and put it all in his mouth with a spoon <laughs> and he had all this ground coffee in his mouth and I was in hysterics I just thought it was the funniest thing and we were just so relaxed weren't we I, I just felt really relaxed and we you'd bought like five different drinks because you thought it would be funny to try everything we fancied and I really liked that because you were just very generous and free-flowing and easy and it was really nice so we had a laugh and that was the, I think, the clincher the for gateway me. gateway in. That was the gateway in because we laughed a lot. I felt very relaxed and comfortable. And then, yeah, and then you cooked for me on our third day at your house, which I moved into 10 months later. You did. <laughs> and then with, with my 14 boxes and my dog and everything else. And then, yeah, I got engaged a year after, married the year after that. All very textbook, but the rest of our relationship hasn't really or generally our lives aren't very textbook are they no it's been uh, a lot of growth a lot of evolving a lot of learning um but never a dull day never a dull day so shall we recap on what's happened since our last episode i think we should so we very soon after the episode we recorded 
we went through a, a, quite a big trauma. We found out we were very unexpectedly pregnant um, because our kids had both been IVF and we had decided not to have any more kids based on me having postpartum arthritis flare-ups. I worked really hard to keep, obviously the arthritis, it's an autoimmune disease. I worked really hard to keep it at bay, maintain my remission, but the postpartum hormones and the breastfeeding and all of that and the exhaustion uh, put me into arthritis flares after both kids. So we decided based on that and my difficulties with breastfeeding, having had the surgery, the breast surgeries and having damaged milk ducts, that all in all, we had two healthy children and it just wasn't right for us to go again, even though we actually had one embryo frozen. Mm. And we ended up donating that embryo to research. Yeah, that was that was a difficult decision, wasn't it, what to do there? That was a really, I was really, that was a really big moment. Um, because the truth of it is, which you know, I always wanted three children. I always saw myself with three children, always wanted three children. But I was also, I'd also learned at that point in my life through everything, I'd been through that, you know, you make a plan and God laughs. And sometimes you have to just, you know, succumb to the lessons you're being shown or the path you're being led down. And to me, based on having those flare-ups, it would have been a real choice to go ahead and have another baby, knowing that it was unlikely that I would be well afterwards. And that now I had two older children to look after and a baby. And Every time we had a baby, it put a lot of strain on our marriage because then when I get ill, you have to pick up all the slack with the kids, with yeah. everything. So we end up resenting each other and all in all, having another baby didn't feel like the right thing for us in our relationship, even though in my heart, I always wanted that. So we donated the embryo and then however long after, and it must be said that, um, you know, I have done an episode about fertility um I'm just trying to see what episode that was that was episode 83 why we're chronically infertile and my own fertility journey and the reason I, I mentioned it why we're chronically infertile is because we Daniel you changed your lifestyle completely mm. funnily enough after having Vida and you know your sperm improved and we got yeah. So we didn't pregnant. we didn't think it was possible for us. Um, you know the the problems with getting pregnant were was always sort of the male side, my side, and I, I mentioned it in the previous episode we did. I, I lived a very unhealthy life. Um, you know, ticking all all the unhealthy boxes. So it was hard for us to to get pregnant, and then through a series of events and turning my life around, taking more holistic approach to everything, you know, out of the blue, we, we got pregnant because the, the health was, was back in the sperm. Yeah. And, and, you know, just to like, I always like to draw on extremes to kind of show the disparity between maybe where we were at and then what happened. You, and I hope this is okay to say, but we did say it on the other episode, your sperm count was really low. Like mm. re they had, they were like, there's no way you're getting pregnant. It, it was, we had to have a process called IMSI, which is like the biggest, strongest microscope they can use to pick the sperm because there were so few of them. 
Um, so it wasn't IVF, it wasn't ICSI, it was something called IMSI and it was um, this whole process. So the fact that then a few years into living really healthily and not just the, yes, the physical stuff, you were eating organic, you weren't smoking, you weren't drinking, you were running, you were doing exercise, but also you were meditating and doing breath work, so getting oxygen to the sperm. Obviously you had loads more antioxidants in your system because you had less free radicals because you weren't living such a toxic life. So, you know, lo and behold, then we get pregnant. So I don't think it's a coincidence, but so we get pregnant and I was one day late on my, no, it was before that. I felt implantation pains, didn't I? Yeah. We were out for Halloween, staying in a hotel and it was the Sunday, it was Halloween. It was Halloween day. And I said to you, I've got this pain here on my left ovary and I'm telling you that it's implantation pains mm. and you and listen you know you've got to understand guys we have never been in a situation where we have just been able to expect oh I might be pregnant this might be implantation pain so it was for me to think that it was foreign but I guess I just know my body so well so I was like I've got these pains and it feels like implantation pains and you went really are you sure and I went no of course I'm not sure but that's what it feels like and I just knew, didn't I? Yeah, and, and I remember feeling like, wow, this 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 is a shock. And I and I hope that that wasn't the case because you know I was in fear at that point. But I also knew deep down that you knew your body well enough, and you'd known both times with with IVF when they'd taken, and this was going to probably be the case this time as well. Well, at that I don't think at that moment you knew. I think you were putting it to the back of your head, but. It was, I was a day late on my period and mm. I'm never late and I knew. And then and about four or five days later, it was about four days later, I took Vida horse riding with my mum and in the car on the way there, I said, I'm four days late on my period. And she went, okay, well, that's fine. If you're pregnant, you're pregnant, right? And I went, well, no, because there's so much to consider with mm. our situation. And I knew you really didn't want another baby based on what, we'd been, what we'd been through. So I was kind of panicky. And we bought pregnancy tests on the way back that day. And we were living at your parents' house. Mm. And we went into the bathroom. <clears throat> Where were the kids? I'm not sure. I think it was a weekend. They, they must have been at... Your mum's. Maybe they were at my mum's because we, or were they downstairs anyway? And we went into the bathroom, we took the pregnancy test and... I'm still not sure to this day what happened. I it mean, was, it, yeah. it, it was a mixture of horrendous laughter and crying that I, I, I didn't know which way the pendulum was, was swinging. Because we were uh, so shocked. Mm. But also I knew, but then I was shocked and I was sad because I knew you didn't want another baby and we had spoken about it before and we'd spoken about you getting a vasectomy and me saying just so you know I would never get an abortion and by the way this is not any reflection on that because I absolutely believe that there are times where that is needed but for me and everything I'd been through and being in a loving marriage financially stable you know all of that that there wasn't there would be no reason for me at this stage in my life to ever terminate a pregnancy and you know it wasn't like I didn't want a baby so but I knew that that would be in your mind and so I was panicky and I was like crying but I was laughing because I was like oh my god I'm pregnant this is we'd never had the opportunity to just see it come up the, the pregnancy test say pregnant mm. we'd had to go for blood tests and you know it was a whole shebang so 
Yeah, it was such, I just, and you took a picture of me and your dad came up and said, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's going on? And you didn't know if I was laughing or crying. Oh, it was just, and then we had discussions for a whole week on what we were going to do. Yeah, that, that was a difficult time. Um, we'd, we'd made our peace with the fact that we, we didn't want any more kids. We'd given away the embryo that we'd worked so hard and we'd had frozen for four, five years. And we were moving on. We were, we were doing things that we enjoyed. We were taking up new hobbies and we'd mentally closed that door. So when it happened, it was a shock, not to mention we just bought a new house and we'd invested a lot of money in the house and doing it up. And now we were having to think about possibly a third child and, and what that meant. And it, it took me a, time, a while to come around. It was a big decision, but I, I saw what you were going through that week and I had my own way of, of dealing with it and answering the questions I had, but ultimately the right decision was, was made and we, we came together on it. We came together and we, we, we absolutely wanted to move forward with it. I remember you saying to me, even though you were kind of at times trying to talk me out of it, you always knew that, that I always it, knew that it, I always there was knew. no chance that I, I think we it was wouldn't. A week and a half that we were deliberating, and it was actually under a week. Was it under a week? Yeah. And I, I knew straight away that we were going ahead with it. But I think for me, I wanted to have all the questions asked, go through the process, and you know, I suppose see whether you were a hundred percent with it as well. Mm-hmm. But there was never any doubt. It's so emotional actually talking about it now that that period of wow we're having a baby and yeah and, and like our parents knew that we were deliberating and didn't so knew kind of not to talk about and and then we made the decision and your parents went out for dinner came back we sat spent the whole night talking about it and they came in and we went we're having a baby mm. and then a few weeks later I don't actually know how many weeks um we and we'd kind of told our families we told our siblings and um so we were and we were renovating this house so we thought okay well what was going to be the guest room will be the nursery and I started getting excited and I was looking at because I was looking at wallpapers for Braxton's room so I started looking at wallpapers and thinking about names and I was just very much in that maternal mode of and anyone you know who's been pregnant will will know this is that you go into this mode of whatever the logistical issues and challenges might be, your body does this really, the hormones do this really incredible thing. It's our survival mechanisms as human animals that makes you not focus on all the difficult logistical challenges. You just think about that you want the baby because that I guess is the evolutionary survival mode of protecting the species. So the mother wants to have the baby. Um, I know that's not the case in all cases, of course, but in this situation, so many friends situations that I've spoken about, you kind of forget all the hard things and the, how hard it is with a newborn or the weaning age or all those things in the, pre- the end of pregnancy. And But we had had, and I know this is what we spent so much time talking about on the last episode, so we're not going to talk about it now, but we had the most incredible home birth with Vida. And I know that we were really excited to have another home birth, weren't we, in our new house? But ultimately, the we went for an early scan, and the sonographer couldn't see a heartbeat. 
but my HCG levels were really high. So she was like, I want you to come back, you know, in two days and we'll um, do another blood test and we'll see. And I came back two days later and they still couldn't see anything, but my HCG levels were still really high. So she was like, you might be having a miscarriage. It might just be that we can't see the embryo yet or, you know, the fetus yet, or you're having an ectopic pregnancy. So I, then the next day was a Friday and I started bleeding. So I was like, okay, I'm having a miscarriage. I went in and I was bleeding and they still couldn't see anything. And so I, so they said, well, yep, you probably are having a miscarriage because you're bleeding and we can't see anything. And this is where it comes down to where your life can be saved by nothing other than the experience of a very well-experienced healthcare practitioner. Because the sister on that ward and Vanessa at Barnet General Hospital, most amazing woman, just had that experience to know that something wasn't right. And I said to her, okay, so I'm having a miscarriage. She said, probably, I still want you to come back on Sunday because I'm just not 100% sure. Now, I'll tell you the rest of the story and you'll understand why. Had she not have said that, I wouldn't be here today. I literally wouldn't be sitting here today. I would be dead. Because I, I was so, I went to my mum's house because I said, I can't be sitting here having a miscarriage in my mother-in-law's house with the children screaming. It was just so, such a difficult day. And on the Sunday, you came to pick me up to take me to the appointment kids were at your mum's and we went to the appointment and had the scan and I could see in her face and and it there was a sonographer there and, and I remember Vanessa saying this sonographer is she called her something like the queen of ectopics or something like if there's an ectopic she'll find it which is not a great name to have but it's not, but you know, it was very helpful um, for someone to have that experience. And she, I could see in her face that she saw something. She called Vanessa over and said, can you see this? And she said, yes. And she said, Lauren, you are having an ectopic pregnancy, but the baby's growing on your ovary, not in your fallopian tube, which is common. And an ovarian ectopic is really uncommon and can be really dangerous. And she showed us Oh, this bit's really hard. She showed us the um, the screen and we saw the beating heart. And I remember saying to you, but the baby's trying to live. The heart's beating, so that's not fair. And I remember my mum saying, can't they just transplant it into your womb? Mm. And I know like it might sound silly, but equally it's not. Like you think of, you try and think of everything, you know. I just remember looking at this heartbeat thinking... The baby's trying to live. That, that can't be right. Mm. That they've got to take it off. And I was like, well, but the baby's trying, you can't go in. They wanted to go in surgically and remove it. And I was like, but it's alive. The baby's alive. And, and why that's, you know, really hard is because for the lead up to that, you, you know, made your peace with the fact that you thought you were having a miscarriage. Mm. And, you know, here they turned a screen around and you'd seen a, a beating living thing inside you. And... Yeah, that changed everything again. Mm. Yeah, so they were like, it's urgent that we, I can't remember what the terminology is, but that we remove it. 
or whatever the terminology was, because if it ruptures, then it can absolutely be fatal. And so they told you to go home and get some things and that they'd get me into surgery as soon as they could, but they had to wait at least six hours because I'd eaten at 10 o'clock. And, and I remember sitting in that waiting room. That's like the grieving room or something. Like it's got a funny name. And there was a, and I could feel the energy in that room, just like on a, on an energetic level, knowing that there had been so many losses in that room. I'd been on the bed, but I was sitting now on the chair and there was this little table and it had a magazine on it with a picture of Cheryl Cole talking about Cheryl Cole's something going on with Cheryl Cole. And I was like, how is it possible that I'm looking at a magazine of Cheryl Cole right now when this is going on? And I'll, I'll never be able to look at anything to do with Cheryl Cole without taking me back to that. Have I ever told you that? Yeah, yeah. And so you went and you were rushing, obviously. And then the unthinkable happened and it ruptured while you were gone. And I knew it instantly because I'd never felt pain like it in my life. Mm. I'd never felt anything quite like that pain. And what I now know to be my pelvis filling with blood. And I called you and I remember just this pain was something so otherworldly that I couldn't speak. I couldn't like curl myself up in pain because just every way of being, I was on the, they moved me to the bed and they were like, Lauren, it's ruptured. We need to get you into surgery now. Um, And I was calling you saying they need to get me into surgery now because it's ruptured. So you need to come back. And, um, and I, I don't even know your part of the story. Were you like driving like a lunatic to rush back or what was the, uh, to be honest, I, I don't remember most of it. I know that I'd gone home and I'd gotten a few bits, but you know, you called me and instantly I knew something was wrong and I had to get back quickly because they were basically scheduling you in for surgery as soon as possible. Um, you, you were supposed to be scheduled in, you know, within six hours, but they were getting the surgeon immediately you needed to go in straight away and I was worried I wouldn't get back there in time so I rushed back and I came through and you were in the same room you were in a lot of pain and Vanessa and and the other nurses were you know on the phone every five minutes trying desperately to clear the OR so you could go down and, and have your procedure and get the surgeons out and I was looking at you and you were crying and you know both in extreme pain but I think you were just thinking about the baby as well as much as you're in pain you know that's what you were focusing on the fact that there was a living baby here that had just ruptured and Mm. you know they got you the the surgeons quickly and then they wheeled you down and well, they ran me down. They ran you down. And, you know, this was scary. This this is the first time we've had a a big test as a couple. It's probably the first time I've had a, a trauma in in my life. But I was petrified, absolutely petrified. I thought this was it. Well, they did say to you, and this was the scariest bit, they let you come in the operating theatre while they were hooking me up to the anaesthetic because they wanted you to say goodbye. Yeah. That was the big, when I tell the story, that's always the bit that gets me. And they were like, you know, you need to speak to him about your children. And I was like, literally telling you how to raise the kids and things to do in case I didn't make it. Yeah. What was the 
main thing I said to you? Do you remember? You told me to always listen to them. Whatever they're saying, whatever I'm thinking, listen to them, validate them. It was fine. I remember lying there before you got to the hospital, knowing that I was going to have this conversation with you, thinking of all the things I could say and all the things I need to do to raise these children. That's the most important is that you you listen, you truly hear them and listen to them, even if they're not telling you anything mm. or what's going on with them. And whew, that was... And I don't even really remember being hooked up to the anaesthetic. I just remember them saying, you need to come in and say goodbye to her. Um, I knew though that I wasn't going to die. I actually knew that. I didn't feel like that was my time. Mm. But it was very traumatic being told that that was a possibility. Mm. And obviously I did come out and they said that my pelvis had filled with blood. And then... You said you had three or four litres of blood they had to pump out of your pelvis. Yeah. It was ridiculous. And then went up to the ward and you came up with me and settled me. And then not even 12 hours later in like early hours of the morning, I was screaming again because I had the same pain and I knew that I still had, I had internal bleeding again. And, you know, you can go from one level of having this amazing nurse who saves your life to having a nurse that isn't hearing you. And this is the issue with healthcare. One of the many issues with healthcare is you know, there's so many emotions, but there's a nurse going, um, and someone else in the ward, I was saying, please call someone, call someone for me. I can't, I've got internal bleeding, could feel it. And all the, and they were all old ladies and they were all calling for me as I couldn't even reach my thing. And my curtain was closed. No one could even see me. I was just saying, please, someone call a nurse. And the nurse came in, like just strolling in. She was like, the surgeons will come when they get here. I was like, I've got internal bleeding. You you can't wait for the surgeons to get here or for your shift to change with another shift. Like I need you to get someone. And it's like being in this state of complete and utter helplessness. And the what's de- going to determine whether you live or not is how committed a nurse is to trying to find the person that can help you. And made me realize how many people do we think have actually died just because of that level of negligence or because the doctor just wasn't available because the NHS is so understaffed or because a nurse couldn't get there in time because they're, the nurses are understaffed and they can't, you know, um, the surgeon came up to see me, the surgeon from the day before, and he was brilliant, bless him. And he took me straight back down and there was another few liters of blood. And so then they put a drain in me to keep draining the blood out. And, and they'd gone in on five different places on my abdomen. Mm. So my abdomen's super scarred now. Um, but that one's the biggest one, the one from the drain. Anyway, thank God I was okay. I came home a few days later uh, and I stayed with my mum for a week. Yeah. Um, because I couldn't have the kids jumping on me. But that that came with its own emotional roller coaster because I needed that rest and that complete just respite and quiet. But equally, I knew the kids needed me because they felt something but obviously we didn't tell them exactly what happened they just knew that I'd had something wrong with my tummy and had an operation and I'm fine now I'm just staying with mummy to with nana to recover but they knew because after that Braxton kept talking about death all the time he was what six five six and six he was six and um he was just talking about death the whole time and everywhere he my his teacher was saying to me you know Braxton keeps asking me what happens when you die where do you go the chaperone on the bus when he was at that school and getting on the bus said the same thing to me, she said, I need to have a word with you. 
and he kept asking me what would happen if I die and would he come with me to heaven and it was just so hard but so that week was really hard because I knew that they were experiencing difficulties he was six she was three and like just the whole time I remember saying to you my biggest trauma now at the time I wasn't focusing on losing the baby I had to park that Mm. to deal with the trauma of my children nearly lost their mum and that you know that's the most defining thing that a child could ever go through and I remember talking to you about that so much constantly and I was so insecure about you leaving me as well I don't know where that came from wasn't I do you remember me saying I, I don't know where I mean you know it was so important when you came out of hospital that that you recovered and I think you know I went into survival mode so you, did. you know the, the masculine came out of me the the, the the practical and the doing and the the protecting and making sure that the kids were covered and that everything with school or nursery was was happening and you know you you had this insecurity this this need you just lost the baby that you were hoping for you weren't with your kids. You didn't have that security and that comfort you needed. So I presume that this is where the, the insecurity came in and the trauma had shocked every part of your, your being. Um, and, and that was a difficult time for you. It was a difficult time for, for all of us, absolutely. But it changed so much in us, didn't it? And, and how we, we are together as a couple. Yeah so much healing I mean we really we all we went through a lot of different stages after that because we went through a stage of I was really insecure about you Mm. and then that changed completely and I was then really managing the trauma but you had gone into survival mode for quite a while afterwards that you disconnected from it yeah and I needed you to be as connected as I was and understand that I was healing from something. I couldn't understand how on the day when it happened and those few days after where you were so traumatized, you were, those first few days, I'd never seen anything like that with you. And I remember I wasn't talking to anyone because I didn't have the capacity mentally or physically, I was recovering from so much to have any conversations. But I remember speaking to our sister-in-law, Kelly, and saying, I have never seen him like this and please make sure you all look after him because he's so traumatized. I think you were traumatized, obviously, at the fact of how close you were to losing me and the kids, you being alone with the kids forever. Um, And that was, yeah, but, but I kind of wanted that back. I wanted you to be that connected to it. I didn't want you to be that traumatized, but I wanted you to be that connected to it because I was and you were kind of expecting me to bounce back in your survival mode. And I know you didn't mean it and we've since worked through that and that was you being in survival mode, but that sent us on another journey of, you know, another test in our relationship, I think. And then a lot of evolution happened from that point. Because I always say, don't I, that no growth happens in stagnation. It happens in these energetic death moments. And boy, was that an actual death, one actual death, one near death and one energetic death. I... I definitely went through an energetic death, a shamanic death, losing and having to shed a part of me at that time. And, you know, I've been working with Don Javier for two and a half years on detaching, detachment from outcomes, being able to completely have some level of detachment to, and not from like a emotionless way, but that whole quote of 
It's not that you should own nothing, but that nothing should own you. So that even if you go through the most horrific thing, you can connect back to the spirituality, the capital T truth of who you are, and be able to know that it's still not the end of the world, however hard something is. Mm. And so I, I think that, you know, that situation led me much deeper into that lesson and that knowing. Um, it also really, really made me grateful, didn't it? I mean, I, I definitely, that was the point where I was like, oh, I'm not making my life about my business and mm. about my work. Mm. I shifted completely because I'd been in real hustle mode building my business. Yeah. I mean, I was in real hustle mode, wasn't I? And the kids were young, you know, before that from when, you know, Vida was a little baby and I opened the business and up until that point, like hustling and doing everything. And then I was like, no, I just need to be with my kids. And, and it's funny because, you know, obviously having recording this on the week that I've just launched the female entrepreneur Academy, knowing that everything aligned so much easier when I was able to let go of that hustle. Mm. It was the hustle and the striving that mm. stopped that alignment. But yeah, that was that turning point for me of just wanting to be with the kids more and knowing that when we moved into our home, things were going to be different. And and they were, weren't they? I mean, I definitely think that was the lesson for me, being present. Yeah, I, I mean, it was completely different. You know, we'd, we'd been doing the work for a while before this situation. And I think... For, for us, it it drew us much closer together. Um, at the time, as you said, I was just so emotional and trying to manage it. And I was just afraid how close I'd come to almost losing you. And, you know, the kids, I was thinking about how I was going to parent them alone and how they were going to grow up without you. And... You know, you came out of this absolutely determined to having had this near miss to, to realise that you were not there and, and not being with the kids as much as you wanted to and that work had taken up a lot of your time. And as soon as we moved into this house, that was it. It was like you had totally different priorities mm -hmm. and you you found that balance that always deep down you you really wanted. And as you said, you and I, we, we struggled for a little bit afterwards because I became detached from the whole situation. And that's how I dealt with it. I remember you needed to process it each day, each week. And I wasn't available. I wasn't there. I wasn't ready. And I was burying it. And it took a while when we both had, you know, a beautiful moment and, and I journaled and you know, I wrote a letter to, to the baby mm. and we gave her a name and all the emotions came out. And that was when I healed and we were able to, to move on. And as upsetting and as tragic as it is, as it is you know, we decided that that soul wasn't meant to be in this world and it went to a, a better place and it was meant to teach us something as people as parents as partners mm. and it did we, we we took you know the positives out of what was a very very difficult situation and we allowed it to help us and support us grow as a family 
something that has always been a bit of a challenge for me, and I know it is to most people I speak to, is fitting in the time for all the spiritual and self-development practices I want to do. You know, I'd like to meditate and do breath work and yoga and walk in nature and connect with my guides and journaling and so much more, all the things every day. But we can't do all the things every day. I'm a mom, I run a business. And even as someone who really does put this stuff first, it's pretty impossible to fit it all in. So the one thing that's really helped me over the past year is the Sensate. It is a piece of health tech that fits in the palm of your hand. And it basically sends infrasonic waves through the chest to activate the vagus nerve and calm the autonomic nervous system. And you use it while playing the specially composed audio within the app. It's actually pretty genius. And honestly, at the moment with my days being more full on than they've ever been, using the Sensate is really the one thing that I know will work on so many aspects of my well-being at once. So even if I haven't had time to do any other practices, during the day, I lie down at night and I use the Sensate for 10 to 20 minutes before I sleep and it reduces cortisol levels. It calms my brainwave states. It gives me great optimized sleep. It calms anxiety and because of how it activates the vagus nerve, it deepens my meditation. So I can kind of do all that in one go. And I also take it everywhere with me. So if I've got 10 minutes in the car while I'm waiting for the school gates to open, I can just do it then without the pressure of knowing that meditation would be a bit challenging when I'm probably in heightened brainwave states at that point. So for me generally, it's been pretty life-changing. And if what I spoke about resonates with you at all, you can get £30 off the Sensate by visiting getsensate.com and using code Lauren30. That's G-E-T-S-E-N-S-A-T-E dot com. Lauren 30. Thank you so much to Sensate for supporting our mission here at Reconditioned. And not to take away from the fact for anyone listening, thinking we just managed it very effortlessly. We didn't, you know, there was lots of ups and downs, lots of conflict between us, arguments and me not understanding why you were so disconnected. Um, But then when you came back to it, it was, like you say, a really beautiful moment where you wrote this letter and you brought it with to our tree in Hampstead Heath, which we went to on what would have been our due date, which was nearly exactly a year ago. So in 10 days, it will be um, what would have been the baby's first birthday. Mm. And um, we had a real moment of just like energetic release, I think, and giving the baby that, giving the soul that recognition that she, did. we knew it was a girl we had that that feeling that feminine energy around us and just yeah and you know you say that the soul was here to teach us and I think she still is like a very much feel that energy around and Mm. I know that it that she was around for a purpose and uh since then we've connected I mean, we've gone really deep in our relationship since then. Mm. I would say we, the last time we did this episode nearly two years ago, we were a good place. You know, people listened to this episode and went, well, that's really inspirational, but we've gone even deeper since then. Mm. And we're in a good place. And, um, but we're in a good place because we work at it. Yeah. 
Like, even a situation like that, it had to be that you did come to that and you did go and journal about it so that you, and your biggest thing is journaling. Like that mm. is, you. we all have our practices. For me, it's being out in nature. I mean, I do have so many practices, but if I really need to come back to my, and you always say this, you go, you need to go for a walk. That's my thing. You need to go for a walk in nature or I need to do a breath work. For you, it's journaling. Journaling brings you back to the work when you kind of divert. And every time, every time it gives you clarity, it opens you up. You have these aha moments. And I, yeah, I just needed you to see that. And, and you did. And so, yeah, since then we've been on such a journey again. And I think we've evolved so much in the last few years. Mm. What I see most in myself and tell me, it'd be good for us, I guess, to speak about the other one, what we've seen in evolution in the other one. From when you knew me, when I was quite an angry person, you used to tell me that and it tri- <laughs> this is my biggest trigger. When I talk about triggers, I hate being called angry because I've worked so hard on not being an angry person. I was angry at the injustice of having an illness my whole life, but it, I didn't kind of realize that. But I was also raised in a Moroccan household where everyone's passionate and let's be honest, angry. Everyone's angry. So, <laughs> you know, I was kind of raised to just have that and be okay with anger. And people who meet me now are like, I can't imagine you not mm. being calm. I can't imagine you being angry. And I'm like, oh, you have no idea. And also you have no idea how hard I've worked to make that not my identity. Mm. So when people who meet me see me as a calm person, it means a lot to me because it's been an evolution to get to be a person who people associate with having a calm nature. And based on the fact that you've been, we've been together for 13 years, you've really seen that evolution because I, you know, I am calm now, Mm. aren't I? Like I don't, get angry I mean obviously sometimes I do but we resolve conflict in a very different way now we we do and look I think it's a fair judgment for for you and and for me to say that when we first met you were somebody that had had a life of pain you were different you were treated different you had mistreatments from the healthcare system you'd been let down you and your family were alone and you wanted to just have a normal life and there was a lot of anger there and that's understandable and I think the biggest change I've seen in you is that you've become peaceful or at mm. peace with it all. And you used to be so focused on being normal that you would overcompensate and were worried what people thought of you, the judgments, you know, the views, and you've worked on that or through working on other things, you know, you are authentically yourself and you are at peace with where you are and things happen to you and they create a reaction, but you process and and you deal with them. And, you know, when we first got together, anger was exactly the word I would 
used mm. to describe. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't know how to handle that anger, but I didn't judge you for it because of the challenges that you'd had and the adversity that you'd had to overcome. But I think it was two weeks ago, you know, we were out somewhere and somebody said, you know, you've got such a peaceful, calming presence and energy. And then another person said that, you know, a week later and it's like, wow, this is so far from, from who you were. And, mm. you know, it, it's great to see. And, and this is the thing when we talk about authenticity, because I always say that when you step into your authenticity and you, you really uncover who you are and you step deeply into this growth journey, you uncover a version of yourself that people who knew you from before don't understand, mm. which is why a lot of people who have been in your life for a long time who aren't necessarily aligned with that journey will see your authentic self as inauthenticity. And that's really hard mm. because people back who don't know me now, but who only knew me back then could look at me and go, that's really inauthentic. Mm. But because you've been with me on the journey, what you've been able to see, and my mum's the same, you know, my mum sees, you know, and always says like, this is, and my mum always says like, I was always quite gently spoken, but I just had a lot of anger. It wasn't like I was a shouty person. I just, mm. I was angry. Mm -hmm. um, but my mum always says now, you know, that like, this is the real you and, you know, you, and, and that's what the growth journey is about. It's about uncovering who is the real you underneath all the trauma and the labels and the conditioning and the adversity. And that you is so different to the you that you've created in order to survive in the world. And that's a really interesting journey because that it's really liberating to become that person and equally there are a lot of people who can't, won't be able to accept that person because they don't actually know you as that person. And that comes with perhaps a shedding process of having to, you know, move on from those people, which I had to do in some cases. And in other mm. cases, those people have come on the journey with me. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's been, I think, yeah, the mm. biggest change. You know what the biggest change I've seen in you? that I use non-fluoride toothpaste. <laughs> that and the deodorant and the organic meat and all the other things. Um, but also, so from my perspective, I was angry, but from your perspective, you didn't have the tools to manage any emotion. So you needed everything to be on a very even keel for you to feel safe. Mm. And and this is, this you know, I see this with clients a lot. But, and this was you, you know, in order for you to feel safe, things had to be very, very, you know, standard emotionally. Mm. And I was raised in a house where that just wasn't even a thing. Mm. Like, you know, every emotion was spoken about. So I had to balance that. That I always say that's also not a good thing. You can't just get all your emotions out and tell everyone how you're feeling all the time. You have to maintain that level of personal power. Mm to not always be talking about everything that's going on, good or bad, you know? And so you couldn't hold that space of emotion or even passion because it was, it was unsafe for your inner child. And that came with so much shadow work that really I forced you into without you even knowing, just through all the arguments. And eventually we got there, but you can now hold that space for me because I might not be angry, but 
I'm very passionate and, mm. and I'm very intense and I mm. feel all my feelings and I need you to feel all my feelings or mm. understand my feelings. And that that is who I am. And you're able to hold that space for me. But the, the, the other thing that I've seen in you is you were so scared of judgment. You were, I mean, I was, you know, like you said at the beginning, a different person and I just wanted to be normal but even when you'd met me I was quite a non-conformist I was already doing lots of things I mean you know you just mentioned fluoride and I was using fluoride free toothpaste 15 20 years ago and people thought I was mental you know for some of the things I was doing and the things I was talking about and now a lot of it is in the mainstream and people talk about it all over social media but you know I, I was quite a non-conformist already and you found that hard some of it you found a bit of a novelty, but as long as I kept in my line, in my lane. And you really feared judgment from other people of you making a decision on something that was not in line with conformity. And that's changed so much. Like you are just not that person anymore. I wanted to say you don't give a shit. You do give a shit, but in a, like in a, this is my life. And I respect you, but this is how I'll live, kind of way. Hmm. Look, you're right. I, yeah, I grew up in in a household where there was very little turbulence. You know, we didn't argue. We. God, what must that be like? It, it, it was very peaceful. You know, there 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 weren't what what you would call dramas. Um, there weren't the traumas. We didn't give much attention to emotions um, and it was calm and you know very pleasant and we very much conformed you know we, we had the suburban ideal of how life should be um, we all live our lives by the rules in place by society and we we get along and when i met you um you were extremely the opposite you wanted to engage in feelings emotions your house was extremely loud there was lots of arguments within you and your 33 cousins and the aunts and the uncles because everybody had to engage and be confrontational in how they were feeling so that you was, also liked like my parents house though all the people coming and going and the oh I, like I loved the culture. I loved the culture it was something very very new and yeah look there's been a lot of work it's not just you know one or two things that we can mention but through a whole host of activities or, or growth you know, I, I will be myself and I, I don't fear judgment. I think the main thing I, I judged with or I was worried about judgment with you at the time is that you were very vocal on social media and that was very, very new to people back then. And it, I think you were finding your voice. You know, we, we talk a lot about our generation. Nobody prepared us or trained us for social media. Mm. You know, now the, you know, the new generations, they have social media there. We, we know how to use it. There's obviously other dangers about it, but 
you know, we didn't have any... Any training. There was no social media etiquette. We were thrown into it. So, you know, you'd post all your holiday pictures or you'd put a political comment up and you'd get backlash and you were finding your feet. But ultimately, you know, my greatest concern about it all was that my wife was very vocal and that people were judging you. And if they were judging you, then what must they be thinking of me? And that was my greatest fear. And I gave it far too much attention. And, you know, those things don't don't bother me now. And To an extent, you weren't wrong. There, there was an element of some of the things you, you know, you were just worried about judgment. But I always say now, you know, 15 years ago, when I was discovering things about the medical system and, you know, I was raving about it from the rooftops because I thought that was the way to go. Oh my God, this information you need to know about had this and anyone that's not listening, what's wrong with you? And it was very judgy. It was very preachy and I never meant it to be. I was always doing it to share information because learning, especially like when I, that moment in time where I connected the dots and got all my medical history and was like, oh my gosh. And I saw that it was the vaccines that were the catalyst for the arthritis when I was two. And I started researching and subsequently I've now been researching that for 17 years. I was like, oh my God, people need to know about this. And obviously very emotive, very controversial subject. So it's going to bring up emotions mm. from people. And that wasn't the right way to go about it. And, you know, now I have a lot more compassion for people where they're at on their journey, but I think it's an evolution you have to go through, mm. but it was, I, so I understand why that part was hard for you. Mm. So yeah, that, I think that's, that for me was the biggest change in you. And then we've worked a lot on love languages, which has been a big thing for us. And we recently did, we held our couples healing workshop, which mm. was just stunning. We had 10 couples come to Omnum restaurant in Islington in London. And we facilitated a workshop for couples to mm. help align them more. And we had couples come along that were not in a good place at all. Couples come along that were in a great place and wanted to expand on what they had. Couples that came along that were in a good place, but maybe one was kind of more on a spiritual journey and the other wasn't. And they wanted to be more aligned with each other. So there was a real mix. And what I done when creating that workshop and that was a workshop that I thought I'd been thinking of for ages and I wanted to create for a long time and um when I did I was like no you need to come and do this with me and mm. it was great because you were really holding space for the men who needed that masculine energy there I think it made them open up a lot more and when you were talking about your when we would speak about any given thing you'd give your example from your perspective which I really think helped the men to open up um and we went through a lot of things and actually at some point I will be turning that into some sort of online course mm -hmm. um because people are asking for it but I need a break I need a break from building stuff and creating stuff but it was really special and what it brought out was all the stuff that we'd done in our relationship to heal our relationship and heal ourselves so that we can hear. And, and what's the main thing I always say about relationships? You can do all the couples healing you want, but until each of you have healed individually, don't even try and heal your relationship. Mm. Because unless you're recognizing your own shadow, your own triggers, like you now can look at why you were so triggered by me being vocal 
not as my shit, even though there was my own shit there, but it's about taking responsibility for our own shit. So you can look at that and go and explain exactly what from your upbringing enabled Mm. you to have those emotions and that fear. Mm. That was a trauma response. Mm. So we look at everything from a shadow perspective of how can I take responsibility for this? And, And I'll always preface that with the disclaimer of if someone's being a real dick, then you don't need to take responsibility for that. Because, you know, I have some women saying, you know, I just need to be more loving and then he'll, and I'm looking at these narcissistic, these like malignant narcissists. And I'm like, no, you need to step away now. This isn't you anything you need to take responsibility for. So just that kind of slight disclaimer that it's not always you, but on the whole, with our triggers and our shadow, we need to be working on that ourselves because we come to the relationship When you come to the relationship, having seen the depths of your own shadow and you've worked through the absolute hell within you and healed that, you come to a relationship with an understanding of who you are, what your triggers are, what triggers you, what your shadow aspects are, so that you're not so triggered by your partner and you can explain to your partner and see things from their point of view and something you always say that you love, assume positive intent. Mm. API, API, Mm. assume positive intent. Um, and I think that is so key. So we did this workshop and two of the biggest things that people took away from it were the love languages and the boundaries and non-negotiables. So should we talk about the love languages a bit? Yeah. Well, look, before we, we, we go into that, this workshop was an eye opener for me. First of all, it was the first time I'd seen you in a, in a workshop environment. So that took on a whole new level of depth and, and respect and, and meaning to me for, for what you do. And I was there to support you first and foremost, but then it took on a different meaning for the men that were there because men are very closed through conditioning. We don't talk about our feelings. We find it hard to process those feelings and especially to, to verbalize it. So it became an important part of that experience for me to support them. Now, the biggest thing that I suppose I I took away from that is that we had 10 couples there and every single one of them were talking about the same experiences that they find challenging in different forms. And I myself were making reference to challenges that we had in, in our relationship. So we all go through things within our own relationships. And it's not that you're not going to go through challenges in the relationship or you're not going to come up against obstacles. You will more than any other relationship in your life. And it's how you deal with it. It's how you focus on it. It's the tools that you have to, to use it. It's interesting because... We say that, you know, to death do us part. And I'm going to just focus on obviously marriage as a construct. I know we have different beliefs on on the word marriage and, and what it actually means. But people think, okay, we're going to get into a relationship. We're going to live happily ever after till we're old. And that's all part of conditioning. It's part of what we see in the movies, what our parents have taught us what we see in society, that that's the the path of your life. 
Now it's crazy not to identify that we as individuals change mm. so many times in our life on the path. You know, you and I today are not the same people we were when we met. Mm. We're completely different people. And therefore it seems obvious to me when you acknowledge it to say, well, why do so many people struggle? Because they become different people than the ones they met and they fell in love with. Mm. So you've got to understand that we are always changing and you have to work together and you have to grow together and you have to meet the new needs as well as the old needs mm. with your partner. And, you know, your your partner is going to be the one that triggers you more than anybody mm -hmm. for two reasons. One, they know you better than anyone, so they can call you out on all your shit. And we don't like being told negative things about us or things that, that are weaknesses that we need to improve on. So that's going to really trigger us. And, you know, that doesn't change. You have the ability to trigger me more than anybody else. And the other reason to that is because I no, I don't like what you're saying. So rather than acknowledge the feelings and rather than take responsibility for that, I go in attack mode because I'm triggered by either one of those two things. And, <coughs> excuse me, while I sip some water. Um, and, you know, it's, it's about how we deal with that now. Mm -hmm. So we are so much better at conflict because... I go into everything completely open. I have preconceived ideas of my beliefs and my perceptions. And that's an interesting fact in itself because nothing is ever factual. We are made up of our beliefs, which are just that. Those are ideas that we attach a thought to that we decide to feel has more truth than not. And our, our perception. Mm -hmm which is how we determine a certain act or situation has gone in terms of how we, we interpret it. And, you know, that's just it. We can be in a completely identical, we can be in the same scenario, but we process it very, very differently. Yeah. And that doesn't mean one of us is right and one of us is wrong. That doesn't mean the particular situation itself has meant to to create anything between us or you know pull us apart it's just how do you perceive it and how do I perceive it and that's where you know API assume positive intent I, I think I heard that with um, uh, Michael Hyatt on on his podcast uh, but API is that if you mention something I can automatically get triggered by it and I can perceive that you have said it in a particular way or you're trying to draw something out of me and I can then choose to go off on one and to get defensive or I can go well hold on a sec assume positive intent and an example of that is you know you can come in and, and you can say well why haven't you cleaned the dishes and I can automatically, as I have done, think, hold on a sec, I've just emptied the bins, I've bathed the children, 
have made the dinner and you're going at me for that and you know I'm not having that and I can you're attacking me for the things I have done you're not appreciating me for all of the stuff that I have done when you've just come in you don't know any of the stuff I've done the one thing that you know you've 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 asked me to do is maybe to make sure the kitchen's clean because you're entertaining or or something and you've simply asked the question of why haven't you got round to the dishes and it's and on the flip side it's also me acknowledging that you have done all that other stuff and you have been here or you know either one of us which, or which you can only do if you know but but it's having that you know, you always have walk in and be positive. Don't be negative. Don't look at the things that haven't been done. Like maybe give it a bit of time and then say, oh, did you manage to get to the da-da-da? It's just, I think I came from this, you know, quote unquote, OCD personality because everything had to be controlled by me in order for me to feel in control because my whole life was not in my control. So part of that was keeping everything tidy and everything clean and everything being exactly how I wanted it. But it is frustrating and all my friends talk about this as well from a woman's perspective. And any woman listening will resonate with this, that when you've been out for the day, for what, whether you're working or whether you've gone out and had a day off, for example, or a few hours off with some friends or you've done something and your husband's with the kids and you come back and the house is in a state and the <laughs> husband's like, but I looked after the kids. And you're like, okay, I do that every day. And still the house isn't in a state. So it's like, you know, it's understanding what each other needs, which goes back to love languages. But just to, have you finished or not? Because I'll, yeah, you have, yeah. okay. Because I'm just going to draw on your earlier point about the couples in the workshop and, you know, you saying we're always going to go through adversities and, and, you know, when you get married and things you were saying about, you know, you get in a relationship and you get married and everyone tells you, like people tell you, you know, marriage is hard, and but you're like, yeah, yeah. I know, but we'll be fine. We'll be good because we're different. And then you come up against the most ridiculous amount of adversity. You know, you might not know you've got infertility issues and need IVF and all your life savings and your emotions and every part of you is going to be totally drained and your body because you've got to go through IVF. Like people come, every, it's just kind of a one-off that you'll go through adversity. Every couple will go through adversity. Mm. And when you come to a relationship, there has to be such a solid foundation because you are going to come across adversity. No one gets to go through life without any problems or any trauma. And and I know James Wedmore always says, our biggest problem is that we think we shouldn't have problems. And when you can liberate yourself into the fact that there will always be a problem, but not in a negative way, like, oh, life is shit, but, oh, there's a problem. Okay, that's life. Mm. Let's deal with it. But in a relationship, you know, you, we ha you have to have a solid enough foundation to be able to manage those unknown adversities that are going to crop up because they always will. And I think that's what we're trying to get to is building that foundation, healing all the baggage that we come to relationships with in order to be able to be that strong. You've got love, yeah, but as my mum always said, love's not always enough. Mm. Um, and it's not, I totally agree with that. I don't think love is enough when... There needs to be respect, there needs to be communication, and there needs to be a deep level of commitment to healing from both parties. Mm. Um, and yeah, that was kind of from, from the couple's workshop, taking away that understanding and, and trying to show people how important it is to do that level of healing individually. And 
there was something else you said in there, but I can't remember now. So one of the things that we spoke, and I'll probably come back to it at some point, but one of the things we taught people was about love languages. So for anyone that hasn't um, read it or hasn't heard of it, there's a book called The Five Love Languages, and it is a great book. I mean, you can just Google what are the five love languages, Mm. but essentially each one of us has a way that we need to be communicated with that helps us communicate or respond to communication effectively. So everyone has their way of responding. But the thing is, is what we do, and it's a bit like how we parent. We parent our children based on how we were parented or based on how we think they should understand that, understand us. But actually each child is born with their very own character and you know, my son needs to be parented very differently to my daughter. So my, our, they're ours. <laughs> um, so it's the same in relationships. How, what I need from a relationship and what I need from communication and everything else in the relationship is very different to what you need from it. So learning about the love languages and actually responding to each other from the love languages mm. was a big part of our relationship. So the five love languages are words of affirmation, quality time, physical touch, acts of service, and receiving gifts. So it took me way too long to realize that your love language was physical touch. Mm. You know you are loved when I, literally I'll be in the kitchen and just walk past you and just stroke your arm, just touch your arm, Mm. and you literally, you go, "Mm," like it means so much (laughs) to you. (laughs) Like a purr. You do, you purr. Or if I just stop and kiss you, I don't need that. You need that. But because I don't need that, I never gave that to you because it was almost like a hindrance. Why I'm in the middle of something, why are you stopping me to touch me? (laughs) Or like holding hands when we're out, when we're in the car without fail, you are always holding my hand. Mm. When you're driving, your left hand is on my leg and you're reaching for my hand. I don't need that, but you need that. So it's only in the last few years that I've given that to you because I realized that I might not need that. But in order for you to feel safe and secure and loved in this relationship and for me to help you heal your inner child of those S's, the safety, security, the soothing, I can only help you heal your inner child that might not have always got all those things when I give you those things. Hmm. And the same with me. So what's my love language? Your love language is... Acts of service or quality time. <laughs> acts of, I guess both really. That, I mean, they're quite similar, aren't they? Well, well, acts they of are. service. Yeah, you're probably right. I mean, acts of service is like, you know, I I did the whatever I did. I mean, what was the thing you said to me recently? And I was like, oh my God, that. And we always, don't we? We will always go, oh, love language. Mm. If we've done something for the other one that we know the other one will love, we'll go, oh, love language. Um. Like, you know, I don't want to be so generic because it's not never, it's never this thing, but like you've emptied the dishwasher or, but it's never that. So that's actually, I don't know, like you've watered all the plants Mm. or you've, you've potted our vegetables (laughs) and didn't wait for me to do it. Or you've bathed the kids before I've got home on a weekend or something, because I'm always home before you on the weekdays, but I don't know, things like that, things that I then won't have to do, but also very much on par with quality time because mm. that's my thing isn't it I always mm. like you to just like come to bed with me when I go to bed to read but, or... but, but that's it and I think 
this is probably one of the things when we as a couple were, were in trouble as a relationship. Um, going back five, six years ago, when I was very, very disconnected. And what you really wanted is you wanted that quality time. It's funny because we we always think that as a couple, or, or usually people think as a couple, we have to have the same interests, we have to be on the same page. I disagree with that. We, we completely don't have to be the same. We can be complete polar opposites. We, we focus so much on compromise, making things work. And, you know, I don't think it's about that. I think you need to compromise on the practicals of who's picking up the kids. How do we make this work? But in terms of each other, we are our own people and we should be proud of that. We should honor and respect the other person for that. But this is where the love languages come into play because we are different people and it's understanding what those different people need. So an example of that is you absolutely want to talk to me. You want to talk to me and talk to me. You want to process it. You want to offload your day. You, you know, want to share things with me. Now, the old me came home from work, day talking, and that's the last thing I wanted to do. I didn't want to talk. I used to get frustrated. I didn't really listen. And I, and I hear this quite a lot with men that, you know, they, they switch off and, you know, their partners talk to them uh, at the end of the day. And there's so much information that they have to retain. They have to hear. And really what it comes down to is you just want that quality time. You want to, you're excited to talk to me at the end of the day. And, I, you know, this is the thing that makes me feel feel you know, sad about how we used to be. You were excited to share with me your day and the experiences you've had and I wasn't interested. So now I understand that your love language is you want that time. You want me to be with you. You need my companionship um, to be able to feel the energy next to you, to feel my presence. That's the key word, presence. Mm. And you want to talk to me. You want to, you want to tell me things. And it's not always easy. Life throws all of its obstacles in the way, or, you know, I'd, I'd say obstacles, but, you know, all of the things that we have to do, you know, the kids and responsibilities. the responsibilities, thank you. And it doesn't always happen. So, what we do now is we go for walks and we get ourselves out of those environments where I know that you want to talk and we talk and we try very much not to talk about, you know, the kids and, and what's happened. And we try and have that time for ourselves and talk about our experiences and businesses and, and what's gone on. But um, yeah, absolutely. That, that time for you. And, you know, I do say it service because I think one of the biggest things for me is, I I truly do respect you as the opposite sex, you know, and, and that's an equal to me, but as as the opposite sex, we we both have our our roles to play. You know, yours is a far bigger role than mine on a on a physical and an energetic level, you know. 
probably a, a whole topic in its own. But I just don't believe we are, we're not educated at all about women and the journey and, you know, men, the only significant transition men have in their lives in their early teens are puberty. And that goes relatively unnoticed most of the time. Whereas women have the the start of their periods. They then have to contend with that cycle every month of, of, of their year, which alters every part of your physical and mental state during that time, scientifically. And then you go through birth, which is just incredible. You know how... You forgot the pregnancy part. The pregnant. <laughs> well, I was going to say, look, everything that comes, the physical, the mental, before and after, and the incredible miracle that this is that you create life with, with inside you. And the reality, the sad reality is, I, I hear quite often that this is an inconvenience to partners, mm. you know, the emotion, the mood swings, and it, it, it's a totally unfair label. And, and, you know, I don't hold any judgment. It's just because we're just not educated and we should from very early on. Uh, you told me something the other day that was, was quite sad. You told me about when, you know, you were all anticipating your periods, mm. how one of your greatest fears was that you were going to be out and you were going to come on your period and not be prepared. And all of a sudden you had blood stains on, on your clothes and then how the boys would be disgusted and laughing. That is such a shame. That Such a trauma. <sighs> a, absolutely. And a trauma that, that that's how we respond to it. And they're just, there's, there's not enough education at all mm. on, 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 on those sides. And then, you know, you're, you're very unique with that though. Like how, you know, I mentioned at the beginning, I'm sitting here with a cacao. So I've just come on my period. And whenever I come on my period, you make me a cacao and you do whatever you can to, cause that's always our thing. Like, mm. you know, getting that magnesium and that iron in me from the cacao. And I just mm. love it. It's my way of honoring mm. my body during, the, and it's your way of honoring my body. And I'm going to let you finish, but just quickly, you know, when we talk about love languages, you went camping with Brax mm. and you, a month ago and you knew that I was coming on my period that day. So you had pre-made me cacao, mm. put it in a container in the fridge and, and you wrote a note, pre-made this for you, um, for your moon cycle. Mm. And that's, that's love language. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, I took me a long time, you know, uh, I'm not saying that I always had that, but yeah, look. but you truly honor women. Like you are such a woman lover. I don't mean that from like a salacious point mm. of view. Like you honor mm. and love. It's, it's an appreciation women. and a gratitude for the power that you have, and you know the 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 majesty that the the mm. feminine and the divine and the warrior and the goddess has, and what you bring to this earth and and family life and you know everything in in which you do and it's just an appreciation and, and a gratitude and look you know i i know that the when you're on your cycle you are a different version of yourself and that's okay you have less energy you know you have pains you have discomforts you have emotional swings emotional swings i like that and you know I've got to give you space for that. And I've got to understand that, you know, you 
as you go through this, I need to take some of the responsibilities from you so that, you know, you have that time to honor the cycle and what your body's doing and, and you, you need more rest. Men listening, take note. So, <laughs> you know, look, it, it's, it's been, a, it's been a, a journey, but we've got there. And, you know, just going back to, to, to the service, you, you then go through menopause and at every stage, your physical and mental being is transitioning through what is a scary unknown territory. And, you know, the, the raising of kids, it, it seems to fall naturally more on the woman in the relationship uh, or the mother. Um, and, you know, I acknowledge that that's hard. You know, I got to go to work and that was my absolute break. And, you know, I, I think we get home from work and you want to put the kids on us. And a lot of times people think work is, is, is the harder option and that, you get to stay at home with the kids and... Is that what know, I'm doing all day? That's that's the easy choice, but it's it's not. Is that what I'm doing all day? No, well, I'm saying it's not. <laughs> you know, look, raising kids, in my opinion, is the harder gig. And when I've had to have the kids on the weekend, I'm exhausted after a day of it. Now, you've got that, or you had that five days a week. Now, I mean, you know, you manage a business full on, whilst balancing that part as well. So the service part is I try and do as much as I can. So I will try and take the kids out for the day so you can have that rest. Or I will try and have dinner done, taken care of you. I will try and wash where where needed and um, where I can. Wash up, <laughs> clean the house or, or, or do things. Um, clean the that, house? It, when do you clean the house? Sometimes I sweep the floors. <laughs> there, there are certain things I will do. I, the, the the one thing that I just don't do and laundry. I'm terrible at is laundry. I, I don't like laundry and I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to make any excuses That's for it. That's good because I, I really like, like laundry. It, and I won't go, I won't go near it, but I appreciate that it's something that you do. To be fair. And I truly appreciate it because if it's something I'm not willing to do and I hate it, then I've got to really be grateful that you do it. But to be fair, we do have an au pair now, which makes a huge difference because I couldn't work and do all the school runs and be with the kids and do all of that house stuff. But yeah, that that stuff is all kind of my responsibility, managing all of that. And I had always done the laundry and, you know, the beds and all that kind of stuff before having an au pair. But um, yeah, I think it's like, I think, you know, that the turning point for you in the, maybe it wasn't the turning point. I think you really got a deeper understanding when I explained to you how our hormones change at each week of the month cycle and how the man's hormones just stay like that, stay the same the whole month. Mm. And then I showed you the hormone changes of each week of the cycle. Well, a lot of it came from hypnobirthing. Yeah. Let's not, let's not spend too much time on that. We we spoke about that a lot in the last episode. You know, that, that taught me about the, the the chemistry of it and the, the physical element and how your body rises and crashes and the energy that it takes and, and what you go through. So, so that was the basis of it, but yeah. Mm. I think what it comes down to, to kind of um, summarize what we've just spoken about is responding to each other's needs. Example I'll give of that, 
of how you respond to my needs and you get my needs sometimes more than I get my needs. We were away. I was presenting at the big retreat festival mm. and we all went and we'd had a fabulous time. Great festival, by the way, if anyone is interested in a real family festival next year. And it was the last day and we knew we were coming home that day. So we were spending a few hours at the festival and then we were going to drive back from Wales to London. So we needed to come back and pack up the cottage and pack, you know, pack up the car. And it had been quite a stressful day because um, my Facebook had got hacked and this has been a journey and they kept taking money out my ads account. And it had happened again that day, just before I was about to go on stage and present and you were helping me with the bank and whatever. And it was just, and then it was one thing after another with the kids. It like Braxton Vida's ice cream dropped on the floor. So she screamed about that. And then she thought she'd lost us. So that was like a whole trauma. And there was one thing after the other. And after I, the whole hacking thing, and then I'd done my presenting and I sat down in the sunshine and we were with friends. I just kind of wanted to just sit in the sunshine and listen to the music that was on the stage. And it was just one thing after another. And I felt very, you know, I always say to you, I feel my cortisol levels. I can literally feel my cortisol levels raise, rising when I feel stressed. And you could see that. And I was, I just feel really stressed. And, and it's a shame because it's our last day. I almost get a bit angry. And this is something else like, this isn't perfect. This isn't ideal. Sometimes you've kind of just got to acknowledge that you're a bit stressed and you'll just get over it and it's also okay. Mm. But I'd felt stressed and I didn't want to end the weekend having a day where I didn't have a moment's respite mm. and didn't get to enjoy the festival at all. And, and I remember, you know, there was, there were so many things niggling away and so many things that, that were showing themselves as obstacles and you were determined to try and salvage what was left <laughs> over this, this, of this festival and sometimes you've just got to let it go. Yeah. You, know, you, you can see that you're you're trying to make the best out of something and you're better to, to cut your losses. And we were traveling back to, to London. So it was a four and a half hour journey. We had a, a time frame that we needed to leave and I was pushing for that. And I think you were delaying it more because you were just desperate. To, I wanted to, to have an hour where it felt like if, I, if I've had a good hour at the end, I won't remember this day as being crappy. Yeah. And then, so we left. Well, no, we, and, and I could just see things were were aggravating you. You know, at that stage, you were in a state, and small things were were were, were setting you off. And we were driving back, and I was desperate to leave. I wanted to beat the traffic. We were driving and back to the cottage. That we was. We went back to, to London. Yeah, to, to to pick up the stuff. And you know, I could just see that things that really weren't relevant were becoming big for you and I knew regardless of the fact that I'd set the schedule of when I wanted to leave I knew that I'd packed everything I'd got everything ready very much the masculine um I'd reminded you three times throughout the day what time we'd, we'd had to leave and then I pushed you to leave and although I was very very keen and desperate to do this on time I knew that you had to go and ground yourself in nature and there was no way out of it, we were going to have a terrible journey back um, if this didn't happen. And you needed to just shed all of this negative energy that you had. And you were very, very resistant because you knew I was so keen and I'd been pushing to go, but there was no way it wasn't going to happen. So I pulled over 
um, just before, and I think I kicked you out. No, you. It was we were staying in a cottage opposite a castle that was on the most beautiful grounds and on a lake. And you'd run there in the morning. You'd gone for a run around it, and you said it was stunning. And I hadn't had a chance to to go for a walk there at all. So you said, "I'm kicking you out to walk around that lake. Around the castle will take you 25 minutes. Um, go and do it, and mm. then come back." And that's what you need. And and you you knew I needed that more than I did because in that situation, I'm like, no, let's just go now. Let's just do it. And, da, da, da. and when you're in that state, you can't see clearly. You can just see that you're stressed and you're unable to discern what it is you need for yourself. And But you can see that for me. Mm. And that really is alignment in a mm. relationship for me. Mm. You know, that was a moment for me when you did that because I was mm. like, wow, he just knows what I need. Mm. So yeah, responding to and each other's you needs. You walked through the door. 25 minutes later, behind schedule, <laughs> with a smile on your face. And a so very, what mattered more, the schedule light. or the fact that we had a nice journey back because I was happier? Back. Yeah, absolutely. So that leads on to the next point, which is non-negotiables and boundaries, because that was something we brought up in the couples um, workshop, wasn't it? About non-negotiables and boundaries being such a huge part of a relationship. And we discussed this last night, didn't we? Because we, did, we were because in preparation quite, for this. Quite difficult. We, so, we were surprised. So let's talk about why it was difficult. Because we, on the couples workshop, people came up with all these non-negotiables and boundaries that they had based on all the work we'd done throughout the day. And this was at the end. And they had all these non-negotiables and boundaries because actually it was such a, just a revelatory thing for them to be able to say to their partner, okay, so this thing that I need, this is a non-negotiable. And this thing is a boundary I have. And then when we spoke about it last night in preparation for this, I went, hold on, I'm talking about all these non-negotiables and boundaries. What are ours? Mm. And we were like struggling. And then we realized why we were struggling. Mm. And do you want to take it from there? Well, we we don't have any non-negotiables or boundaries. And that was quite surprising to us. Because we don't anymore. We don't anymore. Because... You know, you would think that that's quite important in a relationship to have boundaries, to understand, you know, where other people have expectations and, and what those expectations of you are in, in terms of not crossing those lines. And it was a simple answer. We spend so much time trying to support the other in what they need. And we spend so much time talking and discussing feelings and you know, our, our stresses or what might not be working for us, that we don't ever feel that we have a line that each other will cross. And, and therefore, there's no need for those boundaries in place. You know, this is this is a partnership and it's a team. You know, that's that's what this is. And we constantly work to make sure that we don't have borders up or, or, or boundaries. And that's not saying they're not important. You know, we've absolutely no, what, what it is and, and non-negotiables. We have. What it is, is that we've met each other's needs now. So mm. we it's not that they're not important, it's that we don't need them anymore. Mm. And wow, what a place to get to where we feel like we don't need non-negotiables or boundaries like as a written rule because we don't have any of those that either of us would cross. Mm. So, you know, there were boundaries around all sorts of things or non-negotiables that I need you to want to spend time with me, you know, a few times a week in the evening we'll just kind of like do that every like you do like to 
you went through a stage where you were like, I'm not watching TV anymore, but it is your, you do like to watch TV in the evening. And I either read or I do something in my practice or I'm working and, and that's okay. Like that's what you're doing. But we just know, we don't talk about it. We don't go, right, um, it's day three of you watching TV and now it's time for us to spend time together. We'll just kind of align on the fact that, oh, t- tonight we're just going to be spending time together. There's never a week where you're watching TV all week, I'm working, and we don't spend time together in the evenings. It, it just kind of, we I think we energetically understand when we need to come together. Mm. And so, you know, that was a, a non-negotiable for me of spending time together in the evenings and not having you just kind of watching TV every night. And I just think we don't even, it's not even a discussion anymore. So I think that's why we've mm. come away from that. Mm. Um, well, look, we're, we're fortunate that we enjoy other people's, not other people, we enjoy each other's company. And, we do. you know, I look forward to spending that time for you and with you. And in the beginning, we had to schedule that. And we don't now because it comes yeah. naturally. And it's so important that time. And we both get what each other needs. You know, we, we go for walks. Mm, and it's our favorite thing. We both get what we need there because we hold hands as we walk and you get to talk about the day <laughs> and I get to listen and I get to talk about things. And, you know, it's beautiful. And one of the things I've started doing is picking wildflowers oh, as, yeah. as, as we go because, you know, it's such a great, use of the time and it's so beautiful and we bring them home and well because I love wildflowers so you started picking me wildflowers as a love language thing because you knew that I loved them yeah and we have baths together you know we make sure that we we have that time to connect and sometimes we go all out and we light candles and we put scented rose petals in and we talk and sometimes you do all those things yeah and sometimes it's it's just a bath or we get into bed together and we lie on our acupressure mats. And you and fall asleep within two minutes. We hold hands <laughs> and I, I do try and stay awake. Or we go out. You know, That's I, important. I, we do find I, that we talk really, really well when we go out for dinner. It really is. It's, it's, it's taking us out of our everyday environment. And I, I think one of the biggest revelations to me, and some people might disagree with this and that's okay, is that... My life is not made for my children. You know, I don't have to put my children first. And the reason why I say that is if I don't look after myself, if I don't fulfill my needs, how can I give my children 100% of me Mm. if I don't even give myself 100% of me? Totally. And, you know, my children are a very high priority. It's not saying they're second best. I don't put them before me. And that means that we have to have time ourselves. We have to go Mm. out for these walks. We go out for dinner. We go to the cinema. You know, our kids get all of the attention they need from us. They get so much love from us. But that's because we don't have any resentment at all for the fact that we give up so much for them or we we don't get to explore or or share ourselves. And, you know, I, I... Having children is one of the biggest challenges and tests on any relationship. And it was on ours, you know, it Mm. it really was. And I think that so much can happen. There is so much change that happens to us as individuals throughout that process that you've 
got to remember what's important. And at every stage, you've got to make sure that you're falling in love or you're continuing to be in love with the new person mm. that's been created based on your new circumstances. And you're not going to do that if once you have children, you just go into the practical. You 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 don't have that space and that time for each other. And mm. quite often, you know, one of the partners can get focused too much on the baby and the other one can feel neglected or... But I have to say, those early years of having babies, it is different. You are very present, yeah. like, especially with us, you know, breastfeeding, exclusively breastfeeding. You can't leave the baby. It is everything. And there's not much you can do at that stage other than really surrender into this is what yeah, life is I, right I now. Agree. And I think we didn't, half, we didn't surrender to. enough to it. No. And, and had we had the opportunity to do it again, I think we would have done it a lot better. Yeah. But... Um, just yeah, I think those first few years, just just to, for anyone listening who ha who is in those early years, it, it you know you can't those compromises have to be made at that point. But when you kind of get out of that and you're not breastfeeding anymore, and you can leave the kids a bit more with parents or you know babysitters, and they feel comfortable and whatever, it's and that's something we've always done. We you know our kids have been with our mums, our parents from really young because you know they've been and they love it, and I, I think there's nothing more special than children having that sacred time with grandparents. It just offers them another level of connection and, and love. And if they feel so appreciated by grandparents. So I, I think that's really special. Um, and we, yeah, just like giving each other that time is so important. But yeah, it, it's hard to do in the very early years and, and you can't. And that's also okay and having to surrender into that. But the older they get, making time for the relationship is so important and um and we spoke about that you know on the the couples workshop as well about how important it was to to give yourself that time and that space and and how a lot of people don't do that and put their kids first and actually your partner is the most important thing in your life because mm -hmm if you're not respecting and honoring that relationship and cultivating, nurturing that relationship, what are your children seeing? What are you modeling for them? What's the energy they're going to be feeling? Then they're going to think that their whole life, everything has to be dedicated and devoted to them and to nothing else. Um, so we are very present parents and we're very devoted parents and we're also very present and devoted with each other. And I think that's mm. been the key mm. lesson. And we've, we've noticed such a difference with the kids because yeah. we hold hands a lot around them. We kiss a lot around them. You know, Braxton says, knows that I call you my queen. <laughs> and, you know, he goes around saying, mummy's your queen. And, and that, sometimes that's he a, asks why we kiss so much. But that's a really interesting point you bring up as well, because you said before about, you know, having no education around women, which we don't. We're not raised with this education around you know the, the the holiness the sacredness of women and you're teaching our son and I mean you're also teaching our daughter with your actions towards me and how much reverence you have for me like you just say little thing if I'll be kind of walking around naked and you'll go look at mummy how powerful she is and mm. you know and it's never in a, a sexual way or it's look at her power look how amazing she is and it's making me emotional thinking about it to know that our children will grow up seeing that. And yes, we're teaching our daughter, but just to move over for a minute. So you, 
we're teaching our son how to honor women and the importance of honoring women. And I think that's just so freaking special. We're breaking so many intergenerational, you know, ties there. So the last thing we spoke about at the couples workshop and something that has been a massive part of our journey is our sexual evolution Mm. and something we wanted to speak about today. And we'll probably end on this subject. Um, So we've been on a real journey with that as well, which Mm. has, would you say that's been one of the biggest key things in the evolution of our relationship? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, it, it, it's all come together quite nicely. Um, I think that, well, I don't think, I know that sex is a really important part of a relationship. And it's not for the reason most people think. Most people think of sex as, you know, pleasure, uh, you know, uh, 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 an extra curricular activity, to, to, to put it very plainly. But sex is so much more. It's about grounding. It's about honoring. It's about loving. It's definitely about pleasure. We know that. It's about feeling safe and secure in a relationship and emotional states and exploring the other one, playfulness, joy, sensuality. There's so many facets to it. Very quickly, sorry, just to go back a second, that's something we've implemented into our relationship as well, playfulness and joy, Mm. which is such an, without the sex, I mean, just in that respect, just bringing playfulness and, and, and Don Javier, my shaman, always says that that's one of the most spiritual things you can do is actually just be joyful and playful. Mm. Um, I'm sorry to cut you off, but just that's definitely something we've brought into our relationship that's made a huge change. Yeah, life is life is too serious, so you yeah. have to enjoy. And we, we definitely do that with, with insects. And we've learned a lot about each other. And, you know, stress... Stress. Sex releases stress and anxiety and, you know, helps us as people to come closer together, to have the the tools to navigate through difficult situations because we see clearer, we feel lighter. You know, I think it was Kimonami who we found who... Kimonami, our our goddess. is, ...is a sex coach probably a lot more than that not doing it justice but you know she talks about how women are so powerful and they have these bodies that are designed for pure pleasure and powerful and energetic and that often our perception of sex is one from a masculine point of view that you know it's it's a male dominated activity that that men are extremely horny and you know they have very very high sex drives and and also porn and and i think you know pornography is probably one of the worst things that we've ever been created because for for most of us that's our education you know we we it's 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 an awkward and uncomfortable topic again most of that is 
down to religion and how it's shamed and how it's a taboo subject. So a lot of it, even though it happens to every single one of us in our lives, it's it's a topic that's not spoken about, that's that's not shared with with our parents in in greater detail. So we find our way through through pornography, and it's just not real. We have these expectations on it that you know men have extremely large penises and they have sex for hours and hours, and that women have multiple orgasms through you know these these actions, and you know. There are lots and lots of fantasies or, 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 or just created storylines that we, we, we go by and that just aren't true. So we, we go into this and we're not really pleasuring women because, you know, we follow what we see. And a lot of women, and, and I quote Kim from this, this isn't my own, but a lot of women are frustrated and angry because subconsciously they they don't know that that men are are able to support them and give them that pleasure that they need and we all need that to to function mm. yeah i mean <clears throat> so we've been on a bit of a journey with it and decided to well i think it started when <clears throat> excuse me we yeah and all this stuff you know this is stuff I've been talking about and teaching for years about the oppression of the feminine and the oppression of the feminine when it comes to sex and the miseducation of the masculine when it comes to sex and how sex is this commodity and women are this commodity to be able to you know meet all the man's sexual desires and that's kind of what we're for and actually women experience on a physiological level far more pleasure than men actually do. Mm. Women have, you know, the, the clitorises exist for no pleasure other than, to, for no reason other than to give us pleasure. So we have an organ, we're the only sex that has an organ that is just for pleasure. And we can reach climax through, you know, a multitude of ways. And men don't have that. So, you know, it's obvious. And if you ever read the book Sex at Dawn, which teaches you just how... Um, I guess, you know, capacious a woman's appetite for sex can be through the evolution of humanity and how we've seen this, but it's just totally been oppressed by by religion and by, you know, the patriarchy generally. So for us, it came, I guess, when I got into remission, well, a long time after that, but after having the kids and then going, you know, I'm not in pain anymore. And I'm kind of rediscovering my sexual self and I realize I've never really, I've always been quite sexual. I've always been quite connected to my sexuality, but not having ever really explored what I need from it. And we spoke about fantasies a lot, but we never did anything about them. We were like, we have these fantasies and, you know, we would speak and we've always been very open about mm. sex and we've always been, neither of us have ever been jealous people. Mm. So we've always spoken about, oh, you know, we find someone attractive or, all of that was really like on the table. So it was very easy for us to speak about fantasies. And I remember you saying, well, why on earth would we live our whole lives and never fulfill these fantasies? Like life's too short. And I read Sex at Dawn and I thought, my God, I live my entire life so unconventionally apart from my sex life. Why? 
And you'd been saying, you know, we should try and fulfill these fantasies. And I was like, mm, maybe. So we kind of got into the Tantra side of things first. You read a few books. I read a few books. We did some workshops and like one thing led to another with learning about desire, learning about when you were learning about the Taoist stuff mm. about holding back on ejaculation because you learn about men losing their life force. So when ma- men ejaculate, they lose their life force. And anyone will know that by a man has sex, he has an orgasm and then he's like, right, I need to turn over and fall asleep. Whereas women can have orgasm after orgasm after orgasm. So women kind of gain their life force through orgasm. So we were learning about all of that and experimenting with that. And then we, yeah, we're trying to kind of meet all our fantasies and engage in new experiences that we'd never had before and obviously you know those are experiences that will remain sacred to us that we won't share on the podcast but you know in a nutshell we we took our sex life to to levels that we had never thought about before but just started thinking well what if this is normal what if what if the whole kind of conformity of 2.4 children and you know this is how you do it in your sex life is not normal. We're not actually built for this, but society has taught us that this is what we're meant to do. And since engaging in that and going on that journey with Tantra and the Taoist stuff and just exploring like what our bodies can do and what how things make us feel. And, and you always say, you know, when I'm in that state, <laughs> when I go into those, those times where I'm really in my sexual power, that just, you know, that's it. You're, you're done for like you, you're just like, yeah, I'm good, you know? And, and it changes our relationships. When people say sex isn't important in a relationship, I think it's one of those things of you don't know what you're missing until you do it. Because when you do cultivate a great sex practice within your relationship, it enhances it to another level because you are connecting on an energetic level and you know as many philosoph- ancient philosophers and, and teachers and I had this conversation with Emily Fletcher about sacred sexuality that you know we think it's not important but actually you connect on a spiritual energetic level and all the Taoist teachings and the tantric teachings show us this you can you, something happens during a time where two people are deeply immensely connected through sex where it is a deeply connected practice it's not just you know wham bam thank you man it's like each person is connected and there for the other person's pleasure Mm. and it's this act of reciprocity it's an act of service it's an act of connection and I think that journey really took us deeper into our alignment in our relationship I do and I know we're not always at that place like we're not we can't be you know sometimes I'm just not in that place Mm. and depending where I'm at hormonally in the month or hormonally generally like things just change or things will be going on in life that just make it not as possible but we're always trying and we're always trying to come back to that without putting pressure on each other always trying to remember and sometimes I'll say to you I'm, I'm not there right now this month when I am I'll let you know and I'm sorry and I know kind of what you need and and you'll be like okay and you'll understand it and you'll honor that and equally I know how important it is to be kind to myself be gentle to myself but 
but bring myself back to that. It's important for me to bring myself back to that because it's been such a huge turning point in our relationship to go on this evolution that we've gone on within, you know, our sacred sexuality. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's important to say that it has been a huge journey because I think a lot of people can relate to this. We, having came from a place of trying through, through IVF, you and I had gone off sex. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we, we didn't get any pleasure from it, any joy. And then for a very, very long time, we were, you know, having sexual interaction maybe. And, it, and I say interaction because you were doing it because probably out of guilt that you felt I wanted it or needed it. But it was probably once every two to three months for, for a good couple of years. And we'd, we'd switched off to that. So I say that because it shows that every stage, something different can happen. Mm. You know, you can have growth, you can progress. There is always the ability to find yourself and each other. And now we have a better sex life than we did when we first met because there's a maturity in it. There's a, mm. a knowing and an understanding. But also and, we've studied sex. So like yeah, we and, understand and, the and, mechanics of pleasure. And, and a connection. And look, sometimes, you know, we have sexual experiences that, that, that last for, for hours. And that's not because of the common understanding that, you know, you have intercourse and that's what, mm. what sexual encounter is. It's about touch. It's about massage. It's about being with each other you know we can have that experience and then we can lie on 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 the rug naked with candles for 20 minutes talking and then we can you know have a massage or then we can go back into you know some type of of, of activity and that's all part of us connecting that's all part of the 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 sexual practice and you know you mentioned the the Taoist and, and I went into that because you know a lot of what I hear is that, and, and I experience is that we often go into sex for the primary reason to reach climax or orgasm. Now, if you're going in with that, you're not being present in it. You're not enjoying, you're going for that one specific reason and it's over in a in an instant. Mm. And when you get that, most of the time, the man has lost his, mojo and his energy because once he is once he has ejaculated he's depleted of that energy the the partner is is, is often unsatisfied and 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 is left frustrated um and if you know she is fortunate enough to, to have an orgasm again it's you know it, it, it's often a, a quick one and or she's given it to herself afterwards yeah and you know with it's about being present in the journey. It's about enjoying it. It's about not going into it, wanting to get to that point. For us now, it doesn't matter whether we do or, or we don't. And the, the the Taoists certainly believe that you know once you give that energy away, 
you know, your life force is gone. And if you think about this, the average um, ejaculant is between three and five millimeters, uh, sorry, milliliters. milliliters. And within each milliliter, there's 100 million sperm. Now, if you think about that, effectively in one ejaculant, you have enough life force to potentially populate 6.2% of the entire global population. Now, that's huge to think you have that in, you know, a couple of drops of semen. And that explains, you know, quite obviously why, Mm, you know, a man, once you get rid of that, is just... Depleted. Grounded from all that sexual energy he has, from all that power he has, from all that connection he has. And more often than not, he he's, he's, turns over and he's not interested. So the Taoists, um, you know, teach you a concept of how to hold that ejaculate, how to, to last longer and how to enjoy that that feeling. And, and that we do. Um, and it doesn't matter where we, where we get to or not, but it's awoken something in us that we just enjoy we're just playful and like you said we 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 we, we've had experiences that have you know brought us closer together and that have pushed our boundaries have have pushed our boundaries and look it's we are animals at the end of the day and we all have urges and we all have needs and we all have attraction Mm. and you know look i'm attracted to lots of people you're attracted to lots of people. This whole notion that when you're in a couple, you shouldn't look at someone else mm. or it's you not, know, you it's not realistic. It's, it's it, not it, realistic. It doesn't happen. Because... I always say just because you sign a marriage certificate, there's no button that goes off in your internal being that stops you being attracted to someone who you'd ordinarily be attracted to. Yeah. I, I imagine that, you know, well, I know that all the men are, you know, together and discussing you know the women that they're attracted to and and their needs and and I would imagine that when women are together in a circle that's their safe place to talk about you know what turns them on and and who they're attracted to whether that's a you know somebody that that they know or or, or, you know a celebrity status or, or or whatever that is but we hide it from each other and the reality is is that we're all attracted to the other sex now all right uh, if you're heterosexual sorry yeah if you're, we're all attracted to other people yeah and that's absolutely okay now when you're in a relationship that's something different that's depth that that has layers you know we don't need to be afraid if that is as good as as it can be we we shouldn't be afraid that the other person is going to leave us because they have attraction and an option and often we, you know, we we put this negative predatorial concept on being attracted to other people. It's not, it's it's a, it's an appreciation of the beauty of, of human beings, of mm. you know, what we find inspiring and what we find beautiful and, and you can define beauty in, in, in many ways. It's not the conventional um beauty that we often think of. But we can be attracted to that and that's okay. And we can do that in a safe space of being in a relationship and knowing that we're always grounded to one another and we don't have to feel threatened. You're, you're, you're... But sometimes we do 
I think you get more jealous than I do, for sure. Well, look, um, I, I, I like healthy jealousy. But that's what I was going to say. I mean, so I, I, so I sometimes like we do get a bit jealous or you do get a bit jealous. If I'll mention someone I'm attracted to or, you know, and, and you're, or I'll just mention someone, I'll go, you know, so-and-so, whatever. And you'll just be like, you'll have this niggle of jealousy that you'll express to me and you'll make jokes about it all the time. But it then it, it pushes you to want me more. Mm. So it's, it is that expression of healthy jealousy, which actually I think is quite good, you know? Um, and, and there's so many places you can go with it. And, and we've had many discussions and many different options have popped up and many experiences. We, we absolutely know that anything like polyamory is not for us, open relationships, not for us, um, because we hold sacred uh, this unit and this dynamic that we do have but that's not to say that other experiences aren't available to us but it's, it all comes down to a respect for the other person and trying to meet each other's needs while meeting our own needs at the same time and I think really for me being able to step into my sexual power and arrive at this place of sexual alchemy has been made possible because of your love of the feminine mm. like you honor the female body so deeply and and so, hold it so sacred there's nothing more important to you than my pleasure and I, that has given me so much scope for finding what my pleasure is and I know for me like I'd said to you this journey of sexual alchemy for me was a lot to do, which I didn't realize at the beginning, but I managed to articulate at some point, didn't I, that I'd been in pain for most of my life. And wow, now it's time for pleasure. Mm. And that's kind of what set us on the journey. And you enabled that because of your, just your complete reverence for my body and, and all the things I don't like about my body, you just still love and honor and... Yeah, I, I think that's a really nice note to end on. Uh, um, thank you for your love and your reverence and just your commitment and your commitment to being on this growth journey with me. Maybe it's weird that I'm saying it on a podcast, but <laughs> I repeat, I, <laughs> I do. I like, I appreciate you so much and I want anyone listening who's listening to this going oh for fuck's sake there's no one else out there like him there is there are men <laughs> like Daniel um it I've always I always say to any women that work with me it's not that they're not out there or that men you know that treat women like this don't exist it's that we don't follow our intuition enough to find that we settle and we ignore our intuition of what our intuition needs but when we are energetically aligned with that high vibrational you know situation relationship it will make its way to us so um I do believe these relationships are possible for everyone if both parties are willing to do the work individually on themselves. And I, I think really that's what all this comes down to. It's not about me telling you what to do, you telling me what to do, us going to couples therapy or having any sort of practice as a couple. It's about each of us individually being on a growth journey and being willing to go on our own individual growth journeys and spend time on our growth practices 
things that bring us, make us more connected, the journaling, the meditation, the, the just living healthily, being, you know, re- just honoring our bodies and our minds and our spirits and meeting each other's needs. I think that's really all it is. Yeah. And look, I will say that I don't believe you, it, it's just about meeting that right person. We were very different people when we met. It's about being open to going on a journey together to, to, to discover, going into the work, becoming closer. I think one of the main things is that you have to find appreciation, gratitude and, and love for yourself because we become too dependent on seeking things we don't find in ourselves in our partner or in our relationship and that's when we become too dependent and it can be toxic but learn to love yourself learn to appreciate go on that journey and you know remember it's it's always a challenge and you can change at every stage of it Mm. um and we're all just trying to find our way so let's do it together Let's do it together in gratitude, appreciation, love, respect, because otherwise it's going to be a whole lot more challenging and less enjoyable. I have nothing more to add to that. You have finalized the episode perfectly. So thank you for doing this with me. Always a pleasure. Whew, that was a spicy one. I really hope you enjoyed this episode that I've just recorded with Daniel, my husband. I I really, really enjoyed recording. It's funny, we have these conversations together, but when we've sat down with the intention of bringing it to other people, so much stuff comes up that we don't even acknowledge maybe that we're doing on a daily basis to improve our relationship. So I really hope you've enjoyed this episode. I hope it inspires you, motivates you, gives you what you needed. Um, if you enjoy it, of course, share the episode, please review the podcast, give it a five star rating. And as I said at the beginning, this is the end of season 10. We will be back next week with Reconditioned Revisited. So make sure to hang around and listen to some of my favorite episodes from, um, yeah, the whole history of the podcast and just stick around for next season, which is going to be epic as well. Thank you so much for all your support. And as usual, I appreciate you.